Well, that video we, uh, we emailed, off, emailed off this week, hopefully you had a chance to see that as an introduction to uh, the sermon series that we're going to be sitting in for the next few weeks. And um, if you're wondering what is one of the most enjoyable experiences ever, is to sit in the front row and watch yourself on video. It's amazing. Uh, by the way, as we go through the book of Philippians, a quick plug here. Next week, uh, we are going to be moving to our two-service format again. So we kind of stayed in our one-service format so we can enjoy the chili cook-off all together after the service today. But beginning next week, we're going to 9 and 10.30 services again. So we're going to be at 9 and 10.30. But just know that during both of those uh, service opportunities, we have adult Sunday school opportunities that we'll be spending time in Philippians. There's a few others as well. But specifically within Philippians, we're going to have during the 9 o'clock service a chance to go into that book and at the 1030 as well at a level that we can't cover in, in our time together here. So we'd love for you to put that onto your calendars. you think about this fall to be able to be involved a little bit deeper level in the word together. But this is the city of Philippi. All right, so this is, this is the city in which Paul comes and does the very first church plant in all of Europe. In fact, in Acts chapter 16, we learn about this church plant. See, Paul, in actually Acts 16, verse 16 is where it begins. Paul wants to go to a couple different regions. There's a couple places where he feels that on his missionary journey, this is where I'm supposed to go. This is the churches I'm supposed to, these are the churches I'm supposed to plant. And However God does it, and for whatever reason God does it, he blocks him. He says, no, don't go to those areas. You're not going to go do the work there. And one night, Paul has a vision. And the vision is of a man who is standing on the shore. And he says to Paul, come to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia is the region in which Philippi was placed. And if he has a vision that says, come here and help us, I'm going to be honest, if I had that, even I probably couldn't miss that one, right? That one's a pretty clear clue as to where you're supposed to be going. And so uh, the very next day, Paul sets out and he ends up in Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, we have three conversion stories that come very quickly. They come real fast. So the first one is uh, of a woman named Lydia. She's a very successful businesswoman and she comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Her and her household, her family, her friends, everybody comes to know Jesus. And Lydia's home becomes the central place for the church as it grows in Philippi. And then there's this slave girl that's demon-possessed. And Paul removes the, casts the demon out, removes the demon from this girl. And then third, third story we have is the, the Philippian jailer. This man who was in charge of keeping the prisoners and treating them however he cared to treat them while in prison. And he comes to faith, him and his whole household. So there's your small group. Right? There's your home group in Lydia's home, right? So Lydia's over here with her family. We've got the little slave girl here and we've got the, uh, the jailer and his family. And this becomes the beginning of the church. Which, by the way, I'd be love to be in that small group. That'd be some fascinating stories of God's work and lives there. And after leaving the city, Paul came back to this church several times. And so we're recorded through scripture that he was there at least uh, one other time. Scholars think that he came a total of three other times. So he spent probably four visits across his lifetime coming into this city. Paul knew these people well, and he dearly, dearly loved them. So in chapter one, verse three, it doesn't take long, but like 
In verse three, he already is saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul knew these people. He knew the city. He loved these people. So Paul knew what it was like. Paul knew what it was like to live in this city and the struggle that it was to live for Jesus in this city. And as we introduced you to this, this city was, got, received that special designation of, as a Roman colony, which means this city was built out. didn't start as a Roman colony, but it was built out to mimic, to replicate the city of Rome itself. This city was 800 miles away from Rome, so 800 miles to the east. And as it's 800 miles to the east, this, this place became kind of that outpost to Roman culture, to Roman thought. And that was out of Philippi then, which by the way, had one of the major road systems that if you look at the road system, it didn't go near Philippi. It went through Philippi. So as you're traveling on the Roman system, you would go through the city of Philippi as if it was there to remind you as you went back and forth, this is what it means to be Roman. This is what it's like. That city was built to perpetuate, to glorify the majesty of Rome. And you could about imagine the conflict that it would create for the followers of Jesus in this community. Because on the one hand, what, what Rome demanded, what all citizens of Philippi would, would need to fall in line with, was to sit under and place your authority under Caesar. For there is no Lord but Caesar himself. Caesar was seen as king. He was seen as ruler. He was seen as master. He is seen as God. And that inner conflict for then the followers of Jesus, because to follow Jesus means that Jesus is king. Jesus is master. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And they live in this conflict and, and negotiating and navigating this tension that they would feel forces them to ask and ultimately answer a very, very important question. And it's a question of who am I? Like, who am I? And the answer to that is so important because our identity becomes the lens by which we use to, to view the world around us. It helps us shape, the, uh, shapes the filter by which we process our world and figure out what is actually going on, kind of our worldview, if you will, of what this means and how to take in all the information and it informs the way we think and then the way we respond. Our identity is at the core of that. So the who I am question is vital to navigating the tension between the world and the calling as a follower of Jesus. So as Paul starts this letter, this affectionate letter to people he dearly loves, he starts with an identity statement. He reminds them of two things. One, he reminds them of who they are. And he reminds them of where their loyalty resides. He reminds them of who they are and where their loyalty resides. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1, 
verses 1 and 2. So we're going to go so deep as to go two verses today. So as we look at these, again, listen for those two things, the identity and the loyalty statements. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great welcome by Paul. What a great greeting as he comes to remind them of their identity and their loyalty. First, he talks about their identity. So there's a statement in there, and it's simply this, to, God, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. There's two parts to it. So let's look at those. The first one talks about in Christ Jesus. We'll look at them in reverse order. In Christ Jesus. This is a statement that Paul used a lot. Peter used it as well. And it's, and it's a way to define the relationship, to define the connection between the follower of Jesus and Jesus himself. You are in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, your sins are paid for at the cross. In Christ, you have new life in his resurrection. And in Christ, you are part of his family and his kingdom. In Christ is that, is that defining phrase, defining that relationship that says you are under the care and the protection of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. So he says to all God's holy people that are in Christ, this is who you are. And if you are in Christ, then you are a part of God's holy people. God's holy people. Probably more succinctly translated, it would say, to all the saints. It's who you are. In Christ, you are God's holy people. One commentator described God's holy people, this collective of God's holy people, as actually very unholy bodies, set apart by God's grace for his work. Unholy bodies set apart by God's grace for his holy work. Who am I? In Christ, I in God's holy people. Paul begins with an identity statement, reminding them of who they are. Is Paul writing to you? Like as we begin this letter, this letter is very specifically addressed to God's holy people. Is this letter written to you? Would you be able to say that I'm in Christ? That, that that's who I, I am, God's holy people. If you believe and trust 
in what Jesus did on the cross, then you're in Christ and you are God's holy people. And after having addressed the identity statement, Paul moves on to talk about loyalty, to talk about the loyalty, that reminding them of that. He says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I alluded to it in the intro video that you watched, but that statement, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a, would be a shocking statement for people to hear and one that raises tension in them just by hearing it. Because again, there is no Lord but Caesar himself, and that is what is expected. That's what's demanded of me as a citizen of Philippi, that I submit myself to Caesar. So what does Lord mean? I think we need to pause real quick and just understand what it means. Generally translated, what Lord is going to help us understand is this idea of of a master or of an owner. It it sets a bit of a, a, a priority ranking to say that there is someone that has authority over me, that, that this person is above me and I submit to the Lord. Now in scripture, we see it a lot referred to, in, especially in the Old Testament, you're going to see the Lord a lot because the Lord is going to be the name that's used to, to say who God is. And in the New Testament, we are going to see that Lord is attributed to Jesus himself, declaring him to be God and declaring him to be king, to be the one that is superior, to say the one that, is, uh, that has authority. So what is happening here is what Paul does is he says to our Lord Jesus Christ to remind them, where does your loyalty lie? to remember that this is where it is. And you can, you can feel the tension in that. I don't know how many of you feel the tension of the loyalty to the Lord Jesus versus a loyalty to this world. If you just stop and think about the last 18 months that we've lived through, and you stop and you think about all the demands on your loyalty. You think about it, over the last 18 months, you have had to pick a side or to declare your loyalty to a political party. You've had to declare your loyalty to an opinion on COVID. You've had to declare your loyalty to, to an identity on, on sexuality and how that is going to all unfold in this world. You've, you've had to declare an identity to, to race and to race reconciliation. Like There have been so many big issues in which you have either willingly placed your loyalty in one side or another or by perceived force place your loyalty in one side or another because let's just be honest, no one in this culture wants to be called out for not being loyal to a particular side, one or the other. Our loyalties have been forced. And I'm not here today to tell you which side you're supposed to be on on any of those issues or any other ones. What I want us to feel 
is that we can, in more ways than we probably think, relate with our brothers and sisters in Philippi. And the constant pressure that comes to demand loyalty to the things of this world. And so as Paul starts the letter, he starts with a reminder of their identity that in Christ they are God's holy people. And he starts with a reminder of their loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that look like, to be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ, to submit yourself to Jesus? Here's what I want to think about. There's a phrase that, um, that I've used that's helped me over the years, and it's one that comes out of the teaching of both Peter and of Paul. Help me understand living here and living in this place. So here's a statement. If Jesus is Lord, then we are citizens of heaven living as foreigners in this land to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That we are citizens of heaven living as foreigners in this land to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Our theme verse that we're gathering under over the next several weeks comes to us from chapter 3, verse 20, and it is right there in the front of your uh, newly reinstated paper bulletins. And right there on the front, this is the theme verse. This isn't, by the way, this is not like one of the, the major verses that comes out of Philippians. However, I think it's a great verse for us, for our season in this world in which we live. And Philippians 3.20 tells us this, that we are citizens of heaven and that we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ a declaration of, uh, of, of citizenship, and again, a declaration to understand who is Lord, who is master, who is that king. Paul draws on this idea of Lord again as he states the obvious point. Listen, if Jesus is Lord, then you are his citizens. If he is king, then you are citizens of his kingdom. He says, our citizenship is in heaven which means my citizenship is not recorded at the courthouse indicating where I should pay my taxes. My citizenship is not recorded with the state of Minnesota that gave me a driver's license. My citizenship is not recorded with the U.S. government that issued me a social security number on the day of my birth. My citizenship is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And it's the only record that counts. That's where my citizenship lies. So what Paul does is he looks at this church right away and he says, church, look up. Look up, look above the city in which you live. Look above the loyalty demands of this world in which you are living. Look above all that is around you because this home, this place that you're living, it's temporary, it's decaying. It isn't home. Heaven 
That's home. Which, by the way, as I wrote that down, there was a song that came flooding back to my mind from my childhood. It's an old, it's an old gospel song, and if I close my eyes, I can still hear the Statler Brothers singing it. Any Statler Brothers fans in here? Who likes the Statler Brothers? Right, my dad loves Statler Brothers, and I listen to hours of Statler Brothers, and I can just about hear them singing this song. The song is, is, is entitled, This World's Not My Home. And, it, and it, the first part of the verse sounds like this, it goes like this, it says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We are citizens of heaven. This Paul is reminding me, Doug, look up. Church, look up. Look beyond this world. This isn't your home. Your citizenship is in heaven. And yet I live here. Right? Like, the courthouse does have my name. And yes, I pay my taxes. (laughs) All right? The state of Minnesota has my name. It's recorded, and it's connected to a driver's license number that matches the number that's on the card that I carry in my wallet. And the U.S. government has my name. It's recorded with the Social Security Department as well as the Internal Revenue Service. They have my name. I live here. My citizenship may be in heaven, but I live here. If Jesus is Lord, we are citizens of heaven living as foreigners in this world. So in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter urges his, his readers, his, those that are listening to him, he says, I want you to live a life that is so noticeably different than the world around you. That is so good that even when they try to accuse you of things and when they, they bring false accusations against you, they can't help but notice your good deeds. I want to lie about you, but I don't know what to do with all the good stuff you do. Like, be noticeably different. But as Peter introduces the idea of how to live, he reminds his readers of of their relationship with the world in which they live. So listen to this. This is from uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He says as he begins, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Someone who is a foreigner understands that the place in which they live is not their home. After all, they aren't citizens. They aren't even citizens. It's a place to live, and it's a place to make a living, but it isn't home. 
Now, a foreigner may choose to adopt parts of the culture in which they are living. So they're, they're in a new place, and there's going to be certain parts of the culture that they're going to adopt as they live in the new place. Certain parts of the traditions or certain parts of, of, of uh, values and things like that that they, they're going to choose to adopt. But they will always find themselves, a foreigner will always find themselves at a crossroads in which they need to make a decision. That crossroads comes when the culture, the beliefs, the traditions, the values of the home that they have, their homeland, when those come in conflict with the values and the traditions and the culture and the beliefs of the place in which they live. So they're a foreigner here and there's a cultural push one way, but they are from another place that doesn't agree with that culture and they find themselves at a crossroads. They have a decision to make. They can either stay true to their roots, they can stay true to the place in which they have come from, their homeland, or they begin to give up parts of that identity in order to take on the identity of the place in which they now live. They have to choose one or the other. They find themselves at that crossroads. And what Peter says as he's writing is when you find yourself at that crossroads, when that comes, not if, when that comes, he says, remember who your Lord is. It was shortly after Pastor Jay, who's our West Campus pastor, shortly after Pastor Jay started that he and I were having a conversation. We were just sitting and talking about life and ministry. And and he made a statement that struck me the day he said it to me. And frankly, it's haunted me since. It's haunted me both as a pastor as well as a Christian. He said this, Christians today are more discipled by their cable news networks and their social media feeds than they are by the word of God and Jesus Christ. Christians today are more discipled by their cable news networks and their social media feeds than they are by the word of God and by Jesus Christ. And you know what? He's not wrong. See, we find ourselves all too often at that crossroads, that intersection between this world and our home. And when we are forced to make decisions about how we're going to think and how we're going to see the world and the actions that we're going to take and the words that we're going to say, we make decisions and our decisions are impacted by the one that disciples us most. If you are discipled by the word of God, then you make decisions that align with the world in which you come from. If you are discipled by your cable news network, your social media feeds, you will make decisions that align with the world in which you live. This world is not our home. We're foreigners here in a foreign land. And Peter is saying, as Paul would say later in Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world. 
We live here, it's our temporary home, but as foreigners, our citizenship is in heaven. So why are we here? Finally and real quickly, because I'm running out of time. Always happens to me. By the way, when a pastor says finally and real quickly, it means nothing. Um, <laughs> right, Dan? <laughs> finally and real quickly, if Jesus is Lord, it means that we are citizens of heaven, living as foreigners in this land, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Paul draws on this word ambassadors in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and, and just real quickly, an ambassador is, is an official represent, representative that comes from a sending country and comes and lives in a receiving country. And as they live in that receiving country, they live there to represent the words and the values and the decisions of the sending country. So that sending country would, would send and it has a message for the land in which this ambassador is living. And so they use the ambassador to get that message out. If there's a message from that world that needs to get back, that land that needs to get back to the sending country, it goes through the ambassador. That ambassador will negotiate terms of peace. It's a very important position. It's a very important place. As you come to be the official representation of the sending country. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has a message for the land in which we live as foreigners and as ambassadors. God has a message of reconciliation. He has a message of peace for a war that is raging in this world against the land in which we come from, the land that is our home. And he has the terms of peace. How is he going to get that message to the people? How is he going to get that out? He'll use his ambassadors. That's what you do. And so he uses us to bring the message of reconciliation to the world in which we live as foreigners. We are citizens of heaven living as foreigners in this world to be ambassadors for Christ Jesus. So there's the first two verses of Philippians. There's your introduction to this book as we spend time together this year. If your identity rests in Jesus Christ and your citizenship is in heaven, then this series is for you. This is for you. Over the next several weeks, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be challenged uh, as we spend time together listening to our Lord Jesus as we eagerly await him, you're going you're gonna to love this time that we spend in recognizing and wrestling with what does it mean to live as foreigners here when our citizenship is there. And if your identity isn't in Christ Jesus and, and you're not a citizen of heaven, but rather a citizen of this world, then this series is still for you. Come along on the journey with us. We're, we're going to spend time, and, and I, I'll tell you this, 
we have a home you're gonna love. You're gonna love the place that we call home and you're gonna love the one that we call Lord. And over these next several weeks, we're gonna spend time talking about both where we live and the one we call Lord. And you're gonna be introduced to him and you're gonna fall in love with the one who loves you. So this series is for you. So church, we are citizens of heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.